So scripture says this a few things. Throughout it, it says that we're to do this and we're to do it regularly. It sets up points of the year where we're supposed to review and, and check this out. And here's why. One, because we're hard-headed and we got to hear something 800 times before it finally sinks in. But two, it's important to remember where we've come from and the freedom that we've been given and the drawing out of slavery we've been drawn out of. So when we read stuff like that, you know, are you thinking, man, I'm not, I'm not one of them. Like it, it wasn't me. But you were a slave to something at one time, some type of sin, some type of, of problem or addiction or, or, or whatnot. And then later on in the New Testament, as we talk about these feasts and stuff, Paul tells his people and his followers, and he's talking to them, and he says, man, all these things were to foreshadow what Jesus was going to do. Meaning this, that in every single one of these symbolic festivals and, and things that happened and, and the history behind each of them, we should be able to draw from and see how it relates, either predicts or or has already happened, what Christ was doing and what Christ came to do. Um, so so that, that's kind of why we've paused the day to, to check it out and, and, and see, you know, what we can grab from it. So I started with this on my notes this week, um, and it was all chapter nine, by the way, until Friday. Uh, Friday, I started getting some questions in my head and come Saturday, I had taken chapter nine and put it on a shelf in the bedroom and locked myself in the bedroom so I could go back to, to this. So with that being said, uh, this is really as new for me as it is for you on, uh, on things. And I can't really say that a lot of times during the week, but what got me thinking was this. How many people started spring cleaning? Any spring cleaners in the room? If you're, keep your hand up, be proud. For those of you that don't have your hand up and mine is not up, I'm just with the, with the crowd, right? You look around. These are your type A overachieving jerks. Do you see them? I want to make sure you see them. I want to make sure you know who they are. The only type A person I know who doesn't clean is my wife. Um, and I may get in trouble for saying that, but it's all right. So <laughs> you look around at them. All right. Now, how many of you, when I said spring cleaning, kind of thought maybe you should have done some? Probably all of us. Am I right? And then we were like, nah. Right. We got more important things to do. We got, we got other things that we should be accomplishing. And, and I don't know exactly where spring cleaning really came from, but by what Mitch just read, and you really think about this and this this feast that we're looking at today that, that's really celebrated from today on uh, for the next seven days, 3,500 years ago, this feast started some searching out and cleaning of something. And maybe that is, is how it, it ties in for, for us today and through this. So, you know, if you get to, to what Mitch just read, and I know it was a lot, um, but, but Passover, that would have been yesterday. Or, or really sundown Friday, uh, to be exact, because a, a day then started at sundown and, and went through. But anyway, so Passover, the people of God, the Israelites, they're in captivity in Egypt for hundreds of years, 400-something years. Mitch just read, God makes a promise. He's going to deliver his people. He sends these plagues, and this very last plague uh, that is to get finally Pharaoh's attention was the firstborn children of all them that didn't have the blood of the perfect spotless lamb on the doorpost and on the side post. They would lose their firstborn. Kind of like what Egypt had done to the firstborn children of the Israelites, um, if, if you remember that in, in history years earlier. So the Bible says this, that God would pass over and those people would be protected. So that's how that big fancy name of Passover uh, comes about. At that same time, Passover is instituted, also is instituted the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, now, sometimes we kind of interchange these things. If you talk to somebody who doesn't really know the difference, uh, you know, they'll call this, uh, you know, Passover week. Or, or, you know, the, the week of, of Feast of Unleavened Bread and, and all that kind of stuff. So Passover being the first day. And if you're a note taker, I will just tell you this. This is a whole different kind of sermon than what we normally do. You're going to get a little history. You're going to get a little symbolism. And then we're going to get a little application. Um, you know, that's your, that's your breakdown for you note takers. So I want to go back to what Mitch read, where we need to focus for today, as far as our primary, primary lesson that God's got for us. So Exodus chapter 12, this writing of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And here's what it says. This is the day, God says, you're to commemorate. This is something you're to remember, not only for today, but what does it say? For generations to come. And you shall celebrate it as a festival of the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you're to eat bread made without yeast. I guess it was a bad day for us to have donuts. That's where you get the idea of unleavened bread, bread made without yeast. On the uh, first day, remove the yeast from your houses for whoever eats anything with yeast in it. From that day through the seventh day should be cut off from Israel. Do not work on these days except to prepare food, because food is very important, and you should always make sure you have that going on. 
Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread because it was the this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come in the first month. You're to eat this bread without yeast from evening of the 14th day to the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses not, uh, or anyone, whether they be foreign or native born, who eats anything with yeast must be cut off from you. Man, God is like so specific and so spot on, is he not? Like there's no sugarcoat in what he's saying. He's saying no yeast, not in the house, not in your body, not in your car, like clean it all out. And if you don't clean it all out, you're getting kicked out. That's probably a little bit of a paraphrasing, you know, from reading it. But but that's how serious he's getting on this thing. Leviticus chapter 23, it tells us the exact days, you know, 14th of, of Nisan. No, not the car, but the the the, the Jew, Jewish calendar. Um, and then the 15th, we'll, we'll, we'll start this this specific week of this. Um, so as, as we're reading through this and we're checking all this kind of stuff out, man, the symbolism bathed in this time of the year is just simply amazing that goes with it. So, so Passover corn on the, on the 14th day, God, God's saying that's going to be your, your first month of the new year. Was it the first month? No. But God said it's going to be symbolic of that, that first month because I'm bringing you out. New beginnings are about to happen. So it's, it's something special. It's something significant. Now. Then we get this 14th day. If you remember from last year, which I know all of you do, and you probably went back and watched online and made sure to, to be prepared. Uh, the 14th day is what we called lamb selection day last year. Uh, so that's the day they're picking of the lamb. And then the 15th day would begin this feast of unleavened bread where God repeats over and over again, no yeast anywhere. So, so here's where I want us to get. Why is God so serious about this? No yeast anywhere, no yeast in the bread, no yeast in the house, no yeast in your body. And he says one of them in the thing. So here's the first picture. The first picture, verse 11, it says, here's how I want you to eat. I want you to have your cloak turned into your belt. I want you to have your sandals on. Put your Nikes on, lace them up tight. You've been in captivity for a long period of time, hundreds of years, and I'm about to fulfill my promise. I need you to be ready. Get ready to run. So in other words, here's what he's saying. I don't know about you guys, but we've got different kids in our house. One kid that eats before the food hits the table. I'm telling you, it's gone. It's devoured. You wonder if he even ate anything. And sure enough, the, the, the plate is empty. The other one, for him, eating is like a marathon. He makes it last hours. He makes it last so long. It's not just that he's eating so much. It's just that he gets distracted by everything in the world that's going on in that room. Um, and he just really enjoys. I'm not saying which one's which. I don't know why y'all are looking over there now. Uh, it's just a different a different style. And I picture, man, if Jesus was, was or if the Lord was was talking right now, he would he would really have to focus in on one of my children. More than the other and tell them, man, I, I need your, your cloak out of the way. If not, you're going to be tripping over when you run. I need your, your sandals laced up and tied tight so that you can go. And what he's getting at is because when I came to rescue you, you had to be ready to go when I said go. And maybe sometimes for us, we need to, to grab a little bit of hold of that of, of being ready to roll. When God tells us to do something, we need to be ready to do it. We need to be ready to, to get to going on where we're supposed to go. And so much haste it said that yeast couldn't be put in the dough. Like they just, they just bring this stuff with them. And make it last that way. But here's the second picture. Here's what I really want us to look at. And what Jesus is going to get at big into the New Testament. The second picture is a picture of purity. So does everybody know what yeast actually does? Any cookers in the room? What does it do for bread? Makes it rise up. Now, does the bread weigh more when it rises up? No, it weighs the exact same. So when you really look at this thing and you're thinking about, so, so yeast is to make it puff up. What does yeast really do to the bread? Make it look better. So it corrupts the form. It, it swells it up so it looks like you got more because nobody wants to eat like a little cracker if you can put something in it to swell it up and make it look bigger and better, right? But the other part of this thing that we need to remember is, is without the yeast, it couldn't decay. So you know, keep in mind, how long does a cracker last versus bread? Typically a lot longer, correct? So, so what God is saying here, and he's looking at this, this symbolism with this, this yeast, he goes, man, that, that yeast is for puffing up and it, it's made to make something that's little look much bigger than it is without any extra substance. It doesn't weigh any different. It doesn't make any different. So that's why when he gets to this New Testament in a minute, we're going to look at many of the examples and he gets on this. That's some of the stuff of what he's going to be harping on is we try to make ourselves, we make things look better than what they really are. So, and, and the, the bad part about it also is while we do that, 
That's also what brings into effect something that is able to, to go bad. So God's saying, I don't want any of that. I want bread to be pure. I want nothing that can decay. I want nothing that can, that can sour. I'm worried about the purity and the holiness of my people. And that's why for this whole week, he would tell them, like the, the symbolism here is to make sure you are constantly reminded of who you are, that you are set apart, that you have different purposes, that you've got a, I've got a different plan for you. So he takes them out of Egypt and he heads them toward the direction of the promised land. And on that trip, some of us are on that trip right now. We've been brought out of slavery and we're headed in the direction of the promised land. Kind of like what I said at the beginning. We're at different levels. Some of us are, are way up there getting close. Some of us are just now crossed out of, of Egypt. And, and some of us are like slam in the middle. And, and we're at least moving forward in that direction. Leviticus 19, here's what he says, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. In other words, during this trip, as they're making this journey, God looks at his people and he says, I want my people to be yeast free. I want them to be holy and I want them to be pure. And another way you could be saying this is what I thought about doing for the for the title is I want to clean the house so it's a home for holiness. So you think about the process they would have went through and, and many still go through, you know, today and cleaning that house and. I would say that, that God calling them and those that still practice this, they would be like cleaning on steroids uh, to the effect of, you know, they had to seek out all these. Now, so you think you're going through the cabinets, you know, you're looking on the floor and under the under the uh, cabinets and all that are in the kitchen, making sure like the baby didn't drop some bread, that that it stayed there. I mean, they're they're seeking everything they can out, going through the entire house to make sure that it is ready for this. I mean, spraying, cleaning on steroids. Now, here's what I want you to grab a hold of and make sure you understand. What's the obligation in God's command? Because there's only one to search. You understand that? The obligation is not to find. The obligation is to search. Now, if you search and find something, then you have another obligation, right? But we got to seek out that first step before we jump the gun. Sometimes I think like we jump into... So what we're going to do when we find something? Well, what if you don't find? That's that's okay too. You understand that, right? Like you're, you're, it's not like you're like putting stuff there on purpose. But we'll get to a little practice they have on that too. But the obligation for us is to search. And I wonder how often it is when we open God's Word that we follow the obligation of searching. When we open our hearts and, and we think about the time of the year, how often it is that we open our open our hearts to the obligation of searching out and seeing what it is that God wants for us, what God's got planned for us, what God meant. When he said this and what God meant when he said that versus the things of this world. And it comes so easy to us. Sometimes searching means you got to hunt a little deeper, it means you got to try a little harder, it means it's not going to be, you know, quite as easy as, as, as like the, the channel on TV where you get to watch it. Now, here's one of the traditions they would have night prior to to Passover. Once everything's cleaned up. So notice everything's clean. They made sure all this, this, this yeast, this leaven is, is out of the house. Mama would take 10 pieces of bread or yeast or however you want to wear it, right? And she would wrap it up in a cloth to make sure none of the crumbs fall out. And she would hide it in the house. And as she, she hid it in the house and placed it in these, these areas and all, then dad, he would take the kids, he would light a candle, and, and the hunt would begin. So because of what I'm going to share, what, what I think God really revealed, they do a lot of stuff, by the way, that I don't even think they understand why they do it. So, and the more you, the more you study, the more you check it out, the more you realize that. But these pieces have a special purpose. All right. So a fun thing to start the week. So if you want to really make your kids mad, you can go hide eggs like you want to do and put a bunch of yeast in them. And then maybe you can teach. You ever think about that? And think about how much we've changed it though. All kidding aside. And again, I'm not telling you what to believe and how to change all that. But think about it. when we hide eggs, what do we put in them? Cause I've had people say, Oh, we do that same thing with eggs. Do we really? Because here's what, here's what we did with eggs back when we used to hide them, right? We put candy in it. Why? Because what does candy do? It puffs you up. It makes you feel good. It, it makes you want to run around, right? Does it not? So it's all about a reward you get. But when Scripture says they're to seek something out, what are they seeking out? It doesn't really sound like an Easter egg full of candy to me. What does it sound like? Don't not. What did you say? Old bread. How happy would your kids be if you hit eggs this week and they just found a bunch of old bread inside, right? But what would the lesson be? Because is that not what we're supposed to be doing as parents, training up our children? So then what do you tell them? 
oh, well, yeast is a sign of sin and we're supposed to seek out sin. We're supposed to seek out the things inside of us that need to go rather than put something inside of us that makes us feel good. You see the difference? See, yeah, sure, we can say we got similar things that are done, but I think our motives may be a little different if we're honest with one another. Am I right? Huh? All right. Just think about it. Get this thing, keep going. So, so here's what the dad did. Here, here's why I, I didn't connect this till yesterday. So I was kind of excited about this, but I know when I get excited about stuff, y'all don't. So y'all just hang with me if I'm excited, right? So dad had a few tools during this process. He's got a feather, he's got a wooden spoon, and he's got a cloth. So he would take that feather called the hyssop, you know, which is also symbolic of the Holy Spirit in him, what's coming, right? Uh, feathers always, so you see the dove and all that stuff. Keep that in mind. So dad's got this feather. When the, when the children, he's running around with his candle, he's shining the light so that his kids can find what needs to be removed. And, and they would find this. He would take the hyssop, this feather, and he would sweep it up into this wooden spoon. And then from the wooden spoon, he would put it in this cloth, wrap it up. When he found all ten, then they would take it outside, burn it, get rid of it, and, and that kind of stuff, right? So I want you to pause right there with that. Everybody understand the symbolism, what they did, what their practice was, right? Now, let's jump forward to the New Testament. Because I think everything in Scripture should be pointing us toward, toward the Lord, right? Where was Jesus born? All right, so you've been to the candlelight service on Christmas Eve. You know he was born in Bethlehem. Good job, right? So here's what Bethlehem means. Bet, which is house. Many of you know that, right? And then who knows how to say the last part, but L-E-C-H-E-M, which would mean bread. How you say it? Lackum. I can actually say that one. That's one of the first I can do, right? So, so, so what do you have? He was born where? In the house of bread. All right, in uh, John chapter 6, Jesus begins his first public ministry and, and things are going. Here's what he says about himself. Jesus chapter 6. He says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. So you've got pure bread of God, the bread of life, born in the house of bread. Jesus begins his ministry and Jesus was a follower of these feasts and festivals and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to guess about that. Scripture tells us that, right? So Jesus would have been doing what when he begins his ministry? He would go to Jerusalem. Feast of Unleavened Bread would be that time of the year where they went. He makes his way to Jerusalem. He gets there. He shows up for the first time in Jerusalem. Remember now, this is first time for public ministry. I'm not counting when mom and daddy took him, okay? So keep that in mind. First time we know of recorded in Scripture. Yes, I realize he probably went every year because he was a devout Jew and he did what he's supposed to do, right? First time he shows up, public ministry do we hear about. <laughs> and here's what he does. You got to put yourself in this situation now. Your first time. Coming to this thing where it's going to be a public event, like you're making yourself known. In John chapter 2, here's what it says for us, 13 through 17. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. Now, we missed this, but I want to make sure you guys get it. Because we're all like, oh, man, he just had like rage that busted out all at once. Did he? Because it says he sat down and made a whip. You, you, you ever made a whip? You've really made a whip? You need to have, you need to have yourself checked. You know what I'm saying? Like you just got, you got problems. All right. For the rest of us that ain't never made a whip, you can imagine it takes a while. Right? So think about this. He's sitting down, brewing on this. He didn't run away to hide. He didn't go pout in the corner. He's not like off doing his own thing. He's sitting there braiding this whip, thinking about what he's going to do. I point this out because so many people want to read this and be like, oh, Jesus just had this, this one little outburst. This is not a little outburst. This is Jesus ticked off. Right? Do, do we understand this? Because I'm sick of people trying to like make like Jesus just went around and high-fived everybody and woohoo, you guys are awesome. He did that. I mean, he loved everybody. But let's get real about what Jesus did, too. When things weren't right, he sat down and thought about how he was going to address it. And while thinking about how he was going to address it, he braids this whip. Okay? He made this whip out of cords. And then he made a decision to use the whip. And he drove out, from drove uh, drove all from the temple courts, both the sheep, the cat. Can you imagine if you're a sheep and a cat? That sucks, right? Like, it's bad enough the humans did their thing to get in trouble. But now, like, if you're the sheep and cattle, like, you got this crazy guy with a whip running after you, too, because you got to get out of there because the humans mess things up. I, I don't know. I just, I just feel bad for the sheep and cattle. That's all. 
He scattered the coins and the money changers and he overturned their tables. This is for all of you that think like Jesus went into the temple like and he sat the table down easy. Or for those of you that think like he went in there and said, you guys need to leave my father's house. It said that he flipped these tables so bad, like coins just went flying everywhere. Y'all ever seen a man when he gets mad and he throws them? Now, most time we sin it as men when we do it. Okay, so I'm not comparing us to Jesus on that level. But I'm just making sure we understand this was not like one of those little things where you just sat things down and you sat a coin here and spread out the coin. No, it said they went rolling and scattered everywhere. Jesus is ticked off. And there ain't nothing more powerful than a holy ticked off. You know what I'm saying? So he's holy ticked off, right? He scattered the coins, one change overturned the table. And those who sold, sold the doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And you can imagine how everybody scattered at this moment. And here's what, here's what that last part of 17 says. I think yeah, it's on the screen. It says, and his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. What if we acted a lot? I'm not telling you to go make a whip. I'm not telling you to overturn tables and scatter coins everywhere, okay? But what if you and I would get so much zeal and have so much fire that rather than those that are that are with us and on board with our understanding or want to get on board with our understanding, they weren't afraid and they didn't run away. They didn't realize this is zeal for his father's house, right? They're now, they're now understanding like this is what it's supposed to be about. And, and I don't know if you've connected it. This is this is kind of where I got a little excited and, and began to think. Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, preparation for the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What does he do? He cleans house. Right? He's preparing a house for holiness. Right? So he's actually living out the Feast of Unleavened Bread now physically with, with what he's doing. He, he's doing this, this public ministry, the same thing. He shows up, he does it. And I, I think, I think, he did this every time he came to Jerusalem. Maybe not like making a whip and overturning tables and, and that kind of stuff. But I think he cleaned house and set some stuff straight every time he came to Jerusalem. Why? Because the first time we just read John chapter 2, it's what he does. Now, if you go down to Matthew chapter 21, the very last time, which you know we call Palm Sunday or Lamb Selection Day or wherever you're at and you walk and you want to call it that. Jesus comes in in Matthew chapter 21, 12 through 13. Here's what he does on his last trip. To Jerusalem. Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all those that were buying and selling there. You think he got sick of people making money in the house of God? Think he got sick of people puffing themselves up? Isn't that what money does? Doesn't money puff us up? Right? It does. You don't want to admit it. It's okay. He overturned the tables, money changers, and the benches of those that were selling. And it is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. When Jesus came, in preparation of the Passover and the feast, he cleans house so it can become a home for holiness. Are you and I evaluating ourselves enough to clean house? Right? Or are we checking things out so that we can make sure it's the pure bread of God rather than the corrupted things of the world? Now, now we, we know, you know, if we were to do just a Passover sermon or if you guys listened to, to them last week, Jesus was the Passover lamb. He was sacrificed, right, on, on the 14th day of the month. Now, what's awesome about that, and, and, and you can, you know, think what you want. Josephus, who was just a historian, I'm not saying he was a, you know, special inspired by God kind of guy or anything like that. He's just a historian of the time. And he records that it'd be the 14th day that they would select these lambs. Then he gets a little specific in his writing and he says that after the, the um, selection of these lambs, the sacrifice of those lambs or, or, or the sheep began at three. Remember when scripture says, Jesus hung on that cross and, and died. Remember it? Was it was it three? Oh, it was. Now I know some of you are thinking, man, what a what a coincidence. And maybe it was. But when Passover and when we look at the symbolism there and we realize it's all about Jesus' death, and that that tells and I say that just so we understand this, the blood extended on the cross, you know, so the covering of our sin, all, all that symbolism and picture is there, right? So Passover pictures death. The feast of unleavened bread, then, which is right after, must picture what? Burial. What do you do when somebody dies? Y'all should have knew that one a little quicker now that you didn't even have to be religious scholar at all. I hope you don't have like dead people sitting in your house and like, like hanging outside or nothing. Like that. That's weird. That's creepy. People die. You bury them. OK, like there's there's no hidden agenda there. Right. He's crucified as a criminal. Y'all know the story. I, I, if you don't do any reading from Exodus, at least I hope you read, you know, some of that stuff this year since we want to call it Resurrection Sunday. Right. 
So, so he's, he's crucified as a criminal. He's hung up there with, with the worst of the worst. Now, they had two practices that we don't ever like to talk about because I guess it hurts our feelings and it's gruesome and, and whatever. But why? All the little ones are next door. Let's look at it. So one of the practices was this. After you were crucified, they left you hanging on that cross or that section of wood. Some of them weren't actually a cross. It was just a, a section of wood, right? They left you hanging there for what? The vultures? The buzzards? All that stuff just take care of your body. That's gross and that's nasty, right? The other option, though, if you were luckier, oh, I guess you consider that, is they took all these criminals and just threw them in one hole. Just mass, like a mass burial, right? Still seems gruesome. Still seems rough, right? Scripture tells us this, though. <laughs> Talk about like, and I think that would have that would have been exactly what would happen with Jesus had it not been for God interfering. And God interferes through a man named Joseph, not his dad, but Matthew chapter 27, after Jesus dies, we get the story, a little addition to the story that says this, Matthew chapter 27. As evening approached, there came a rich man, so not all rich people are bad, right? Named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pontius Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. And he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Do you guys see what's what's happening with with the bread, the, the the being the bread of life? It's separated from all that rest of that leavened bread, right? It's not thrown into the same hole. It's it's different. God's got a specific thing for it that's going on right now. So God, knowing the purity of this, said, "No, I'm not going to corrupt it with, with with all the rest that is there." Right? So Jesus, after Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, uh, his Father sends down the Spirit. Acts chapter two talking to, to his own followers, his own people. And here's, here's what Peter says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. With the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. He reminds him that David had said this about Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me with the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. What did we talk about with yeast? It does what? It not only puffs up, it also allows what? Decay. So this pure unleavened bread of God. Let me, let me tie, tie together that thing that they don't even know why they do, by the way. So th- this is why, like, we're all at different levels, and, and including them that still practice some of the stuff that they don't know why they practice it. It's just a different level, right? So, so we talked about that dad and, and the mom hiding these ten pieces and the dad going and seeking out this stuff. And now we look at Jesus, right? And here's where we, we get this picture. The feather gathered it, right? Well, we said the feather was what? Symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Do you not think it was the Spirit of God that gathered Jesus and got him to that. We don't like it thinking that way, but it was God that gathered him and got him to what? The cross, which was made of wood. And daddy also had a wooden spoon. He would gather him on there. And then what happened when they came off with the spoon? Daddy would put it in a cloth. Wrap it up. Get rid of it. Now, let's think about Jesus here right here and get this whole picture, right? He's gathered by the, by the hyssop, by the feather, by, by the, the, the spirit of God. He goes to a, to a wooden cross. When he comes off that wooden cross, he, he's put into a wrapped up in cloth and put into a grave, right? So that he could bear all the leaven of all humanity. So that the things wrapped up in him would not have to deal with the fire and the judgment of God. Do you see the symbolism that is just bathed all over this thing? Now, I know some of us are thinking, man, what, what weird coincidences? No. And the crazy part is with so much of this and so much other stuff that we don't have time to, to go into. If you study it, they don't even know again why they do and why stuff is gone. I searched the Internet all day yesterday trying to find why 10 pieces. I told Mitch this morning I was going to make it up. It was for 10 commandments. <laughs> Please understand. I'm telling you out loud. I'm making that up. It's not real. Right. But, but think about that. They, have, they don't even know why it's 10 pieces in the house. They just pick 10 pieces. They wrap it up. And they hide it. Maybe it is the Ten Commandments. Maybe it is like we want to find and seek out and make sure we're at least following the ten main laws, right? I don't know. But the point is this. They, they at least were seeking out and finding things. 
So, so, so there we got some history. We got some symbolism now here. Here's what I want to do for the rest of the time. And there's a lot of them. So we're going to go through them, right? When you get to the New Testament, the idea of yeast is bathed in Jesus's ministry and some of the things he says. And here's what he's telling every time he uses the phrase with yeast. He's saying these are the things you need to avoid. So hear me. All the rest of it sounded cool was great. But if you don't take what was cool and sounded good and the symbolism and apply it to what we're supposed to avoid, we're missing, missing out on something, right? So we put our faith in Jesus. We're new home, new, new holiness, new building. It's established. Everything's great, right? But sometimes we allow yeast to get in and we get puffed up. So here, here's the very first thing. Application right here. Jesus said, beware of the yeast of hypocrisy. All right, Luke chapter 12. Things that need to be avoided. Things that were worn by God. So if you're a note taker, now you can have like your little five point sermon kind of ideas, right? The yeast of hypocrisy. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So what's he getting at when he calls out these Pharisees? One, understand this. Pharisees is like a like a big general title. Not every Pharisee was bad. Most were, yes, I understand it. That's why he, he harps on so much. But not all. Some were okay, right? But he's generally saying this, and here's the problem with the with the Pharisees. Don't let this kind of yeast into your world or you'll become a, what do you say, a hypocrite. Pharisees were concerned with three main things. Now, men, we're a little bit ahead of the ladies for once in our life uh, because we're going through Matthew. Three of their main things were, were uh, tithing, giving, prayer, and fasting, which is some of the things Jesus harps on in the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he's getting on them about, right? So here's what he tells them. And all these things, understand, giving, prayer, and fasting were all uh, disciplines for worship of God. Jesus has a problem with the Pharisees because of this. He's saying, you've taken these opportunities that were made to draw you closer to me, and you're using them so that you look spiritual, so that you are being what? Puffed up, just like yeast does, right? So that's what I'm saying. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Giving. You know anybody who's giving away some really cool things? Do you know anybody like that for real? I think I think so highly of them. I've had people come into the shop before, like and and pay for somebody's somebody's stuff, and tell me, do not let them know where this came from. And I think that's awesome. I've had people, you know, pay for for various bills of people and tell me, like, I want you to do it. I want you to take care of it, but I don't want them to know. Who the money actually came from. I think that's so awesome. Right? Here, here's the problem with them, though. He's saying when, when he talks about giving like the, the Pharisees, he's saying you guys are doing this to draw attention to yourself. You want your name on everything. And instead of it being about the Lord, you're making it all about you. And us and our little traditional churches, we've done the same thing for hundreds of years, have we not? Go, go, don't look at, oh, you can look around here if you want to, because we didn't take them all off, right? But go to your old traditional church and what do you see on the pew in front of you? Somebody's name. Is it Jesus's name? Is it Yahweh's name? Is it all the names of God? What is it? John Smith. Robert Jackson. Am I right? Don't get quiet because we don't like it. Let's just get real about it. We came in here, all these little windows. You see the little lines at the bottom of them? Let's be honest. They got names on them. Why? Oh, we're going to get quiet now. Oh, pastor's hurting our feelings, right? Why? What was it? Donated. I need $100 to expand the house of God. Who's going to get it? Nobody. I need $100. If you give $100, I'll put your name on a window. Now what? You got 75 people giving, so you get your name on a window, right? Church, do we understand how corrupt that is? Think about it. I know we've been doing it for years. A lot of us really don't like that idea, but we need to get honest about it. There's a problem when your name is in the house of God and not his name. Okay? That's why they're gone. Right? And I, I told him, when we first moved in, those things down, it was, oh, people ain't gonna like that. Da, da, da. I said, if they can show me a place in scripture where it needs to be put back up, I'll put them all back up. I'm yet to have to put any back up. So, uh, if something changes, you guys let me know, right? Let's just be honest about it. What, giving it is something where we can get closer with God. We can love God's people. We can do we can do what we're called to do as the church. And yet when these guys are doing it, what were they doing? Look at me. Look at how much I can give. What if what if at praise time when we started service, we just started shouting out like who gave the most this week, right? Huh? And we just cheered for them. Is that what we want? No. It says let your giving be done in secret. 
Why we don't even pass an offering plate, man? I don't even want the neighbor beside you seeing what you drop in that thing. You don't want to drop nothing in the box. You can walk by and put your hand over the top and nobody know the difference. You look just as spiritual as the next guy that put his hand over the box when he walked out, right? I don't care about that. What's the other thing? The other thing he says is when you pray, don't be like them. What, what's he talking about? Y'all, y'all know anybody that speaks Shakespeare in the knees? Do y'all Shakespeare in the knees? What is that? You ain't never seen nobody speak Shakespeare in the knees? I can't say it more than three times, so don't ask me more time, right? Somebody, when they get up into praying, and they use words they ain't never used in their whole life. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, these and thous and me's, and I knew you'd have something to go with it, right? So you got, you got, you got these people, they just pull out all these words out of everywhere. They got no idea what half of them even mean, but it sounds good, right? They, they heard a brother at the other church close out the service using that word, so they go use that word, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Why? He says what? Your prayer life is to be something that draws you closer to God. Your, your prayer life isn't so that you look more spiritual and, and more impressive to everybody else, right? I, I get cracked up sometimes. You just may pick on you. I don't care. But I, I get cracked up sometimes because because some of you, you'll pray for like five seconds at your house. But when you ask to pray in front of somebody at the church, y'all pray for like 25 minutes. Y'all think because you pray longer, like it makes you more holy and more spiritual, right? I got news for you. I've studied scripture. Every time Jesus prays, they're real short. Right? I mean, they're fast. I mean, they're quick. Even the example of prayer we looked at a couple weeks ago in the, I'm still calling it the upper room. In the upper room gym, uh, 45 seconds, prayer done. Right now, I'm not telling you you need to pray fast. I'm not telling you you're wrong when you pray alone with the Lord and spend a lot of time with him. That's a, that's a whole different kind of thing. But what makes us think because we pray in front of somebody, we need to like go on and on and put a comma there and go on and then a semicolon and on. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? why? Because we got the problem of these Pharisees. We want to look more holy than we actually are. And that's not it. God says stop doing that. And then fasting. And then just got on this. So I think it's a fun coincidence that the Lord lined it up, right? They wanted everybody to see what God, God points out in Matthew. How ashy their face is. How hungry they look. How how rough they look, right? They, they want them to see that I'm starving. Why? Because if I'm fasting that much, I must just be so spiritual and so holy, right? Jesus says that's not the way to do it. I, I, I don't even want your beard to look bad. I want you to oil your beard. Oil your skin, call your girlfriend and ask her for some of that fancy oil and lotion that she buys off of whatever y'all buy it off of and put it on your face so that you look good. You look clean. You look nice. And your brother who looks at you doesn't even know that you've been fasting. If you're going to wear a sign that you're fasting, you're probably doing it for the wrong reason. Right. And I ain't talking about fasting for no diet either for y'all. Some of y'all like, oh, I fasted last week and lost five pounds. That ain't the point of a fast. All right. These are meant to be acts of worship. They're being used for things that puff them up. Yeast. Yeast. Right? Guard against this is what Jesus says. Stop doing what they do. Right? Don't do what they do to be people who look good. Calling attention to yourself. Because here's what Jesus also says a little bit later. Might as well go ahead and get the the outcome behind it. Right? He says if this is what you're doing. If if you're doing this in the kingdom, you've got to be seen by people. If you're doing it to call attention to yourself. Then what does he say? You've got your reward in full. Oh. Right? If you wanted people to look at you and go, wow. I mean, wow, look at them. Look how spiritual they are. If that's what you want, then you, you've got it. But what Jesus is saying is this. That's all you're going to get. You're not going to get the actual rewards that come spiritually in this thing. You're going to get exactly what you wanted, which is people to look and think how holy and how mighty and how awesome you really are. Right? Hypocrisy takes things meant for worship, and it makes us about us. And that's what Jesus is harping on when he uses the example of the Pharisees. Here's another one. I call it the yeast of bad doctrine. Matthew chapter 16, he's going through this this list again and getting on him. He's in, he's in Galilee, this region, and he's ministering, and, and they go across the lake, and some of the disciples realize they forgot to, to bring bread. Jesus was a Baptist, so he liked to eat, so he got upset when they didn't bring the bread, right? And he tells them this. He goes, you guys need to be careful. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which we already talked about. And then he says, and the Sadducees. Well, if he used the word and, it must mean they're two different groups of two different illustrations, right? So, yeah, Pharisees, Sadducees, both religious people, both, you know, uh, holy rolling looking, whatever you want to call it, right? Here's the difference. Pharisees, more conservative. They're in the dark roles. 
In, in reality, now hear this with a, with a grain of salt. In reality, Jesus and the Pharisees very closely viewed Scripture the same way. Okay? Not, not exactly, not all the additions that get added and all that, not that legalistic stuff that gets added. But, but as far as Scripture itself, you know, from God and, and all this, he's very similar. The Sadducees are different in this. They're noble, they're normally more wealthy, and they, they had bad doctrine. And here, here's one of the biggest things they had in the New Testament we know, is they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in any supernatural kind of things. They didn't believe in the miracles. They dismissed all those things. So here's my corny dad joke for today, right? The difference between a Sadducee and a Pharisee, if you need to remember the difference, is Sadducee was sad, you see. Right? Because they got nothing. If you got no miracles, you got no resurrection, you got no healing, that's a pretty sad state to be in, right? Huh? Paxton said, yeah, he's with you. He's like, Dad, I hate you right now. All right? You talked about me. Now you're giving corny. Hey, it's just over, right? Let's get let's get to what it really means, though. All right. So 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 here, here's the problem with them, and here's here's why I called it the yeast of bad doctrine. These were the kind of of wealthy group that would dismiss truth. All right. And here's what Jesus is saying: you need to be on your guard against. Yes, be on your guard against the Pharisees who are who are involved in in hypocrisy, and and don't let that mess up your your batch of dough, right? But also be on guard against the bad doctrine of the Sadducees, and he's. He's even preparing his disciples beforehand, right? Because Jesus is preaching this, and these are people who aren't going to believe in the resurrection. I don't know if his disciples tied that together before they, they left or not, but I, don't know, I thought that was kind of neat from getting to see both sides of it, right? He, he, and he, here's the bad part nowadays for us. With TV, production, media, and all that stuff, guys, we hear so many messages that have so much bad doctrine in it and cross so many lines and go so far, you can't even really imagine what people are really consuming when we talk about the yeast of bad doctrine, right? I mean, think about it. And unfortunately, here's the sad part. Some of it's not intentionally being consumed. It's just they think that's right because it's what they're hearing. That's why I tell you at the beginning, even today, like you don't believe everything I say. You check it out yourself. Check out scripture and see what the Holy Spirit does in your life. Not what I do. What he does in your life. How he advances you. How he grows you. How he fills you up. With air to run this stuff. I just want to look at just, just, just two or three major examples that we need to make sure we grab a hold of, right? One of the biggest ones we see nowadays. Now, here's the problem with the Sadducees. Bad doctrine always makes you feel better, right? Right? And that's why you got mega churches, because you feel good to go there, right? So, so think about it. One of the big ones we see nowadays, there's no hell. We, we just, hell's gone. It disappeared. Right? Now, we've got a lot, even in church, right churches, We've got a lot of messed up views on hell, but that, that's a whole sermon in itself. But, but here's the thing we need to understand. If there is no hell or no idea of hell or no eternal punishment, whatever you want to call it, right? Here's the biggest problem. That means 90% of what Jesus talked about was just silliness. You do realize he talked about that more than he talked about heaven, right? So that, that gets you in a little, little, little iffy kind of situation when you're thinking about what Jesus said, right? And I find it funny that it's always the wealthy people who have all these good ideas about no hell and What's another one? Here's another one. You ever been to a funeral where somebody went to hell? Anybody? I've been at a lot of them. But I ain't never had nobody admit it. Right? <laughs> Are we going to be honest? Y'all said y'all ain't never been to one. I've definitely been to one where somebody was lost and whatever you want to call that, that ending kind of thing, right? Here's the problem. We don't ever admit it because what, what do we say? Bad doctrine. Everybody, everywhere goes where? Heaven. This magical kingdom where streets of gold the little dove comes and lands on our shoulder and the little lamb sits beside us and all that made up crap we got going on with it, right? What, what does Jesus actually say though? Jesus says broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. And then he wraps it up with, oh, we would hate this. Few people who actually find it. Man, that means if you make it there, you're not in the majority, you're in the minority. Meaning this, if you're following a majority crowd, you might be headed in the wrong direction. Right? If it's easy to get where you're going, there's probably a problem. It's the yeast of bad doctrine. Another one I hate. If you got enough faith, you can be wealthy and you can never get sick. We've heard it, right? Well, it's easy for a rich person to say, right? What about a poor person that needs Jesus? Oh, it don't sound the same anymore, right? That's dumb. Stop saying it. That, that's yeast. That's wrong. That's bad. You're infecting the body of Christ, right? Here, 
Here's the way you can wrap it up. If it's not true everywhere, it's not true anywhere. That makes sense. If your little practice, if your little theology isn't true for the Haitian or the African that's struggling, then it ain't true for you either, I hate to tell you. Right? Like, hold on now, I don't like where you're going. Well, you don't have to like where we're going. That's what Scripture says. Right? We need to be careful not to allow this into our beliefs, is what he says. Here's another one. The yeast of politics and power. Mark chapter 3, verse 15. It would suck to be a Pharisee, by the way. I only say that because every time he talks about this yeast, the Pharisees get mentioned every time. Then he makes an addition to them. Right? Jesus says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. We've already talked about them. And that of the yeast of, it's on the screen, it's easy. Herod. Right? Now, Herod is sometimes one guy, yes. Many times it's like a Caesar to the Romans or, or a king to a, to a neighborhood or, or, or whatever, right? So when he says, those of you that are following the Heridians or however you would want to word that, right? What they're saying is you blindly follow after a particular person who you think is going to give you power, who you think is going to be able to save you. Is what, is what he's really getting right. Be on the guard against those who lust after political power. Be on guard against those that are blindly thinking that politics and worldly leaders are going to be able to save you. You know why so many people got so upset over the last election? Because they were so worried life was going to be so uncomfortable for them. Am I right? Isn't that what it is? I fell into the trap. Last couple of times I filled up my truck. It was the first time in a really long time that I maxed out the gas pump. Don't laugh at me. I drive a big truck and I like it. Right? Well, the Lord gives me enough money to pay for gas, I'm going to keep driving that big old truck. Right? But it maxed out. Here's the first thought I had. Well, Biden's in. Now the gas prices are skyrocketing, and I can't even fill up my truck because it maxes out at $75, and my truck laps at $75. Uh, so for all of you that want big jacked-up trucks, keep that in mind as well, right? So, But but that, that's what I fell into. What, what does that really have to do with anything? Shouldn't I have been sitting there? Man, I'm glad the Lord blessed me with $75 by gas. Right? Shouldn't I just be glad on, on how I'm out? Rather than worrying about a political person who, who, that's a delusion if you think a political person has the ability to save you. And that's where they were really getting. That's what they thought the Messiah and the King was really going to be, right? If we get to the point here, here's the bad part. I'm talking about people in church. I ain't talking about outside. I'm talking just like Jesus would to, to people in the church, right? We get to the point where we can no longer see and speak to people who view things differently than we do. Right? We do. We, we say, well, I'm a, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat or I'm an independent. I don't care what you are. We, but then we try to try to make it any different. Like, well, well, I can't trust that person because he believes this and I can't trust that because they go too far this way. And here's what the yeast that's getting involved now. We can't even have a conversation with somebody because based off of what, what party they're in, we're more divided over the politics that we're united by the blood of Jesus is what we're saying. You get it? We're more divided by our differences of political stuff, crap, than we are united by the blood of Christ? Is that the example we want to set to others? I mean, is that, is that how far we really want it to go? I, I think there in itself would make me write down, I need to do some house cleaning. I, I need to check out the yeast that's in there. If you struggle to love somebody based on differences, you need to do some house cleaning. Jesus said what? He loved us when we were his enemies. We were against him, right? Guess they would love everybody. How about the yeast of legalism? Right? Paul writing to the Galatians, chapter 5. It'd suck to be these guys too, by the way. Because he starts writing and it sounds so awesome. You're like building up and, and things great, right? He says, you were running a good race. You guys were awesome. You had it going. Uh, and then you messed up. And then, you, and then you just screwed the whole thing. I right? said, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. In other words, he's warning them, hey, don't get into a place where you allow this stuff in because it messes you up. Well, well, what's legalism? Now, here, here's a good one for you in the South, right? What's legalism? When you tell them, oh, you get saved at the altar, then you have to get in the tank, and then you have to get a haircut. Is that not what we do? Or you get saved at the altar, we baptize you at the river, and then you got to start covering up all those healing tattoos you got. Right? I only cover mine up because my sleeves are longer. My wife tells me I can't preach in a t-shirt. Right? <laughs> Think about it. You got to do this, plus you got to do that. You got to do this, plus take out your earrings. You got to do this, plus you got to stop smoking. You got to do this, plus you got to stop drinking. You got to do, why? Show me a verse where it says in order to get saved, it's got to be Jesus plus something. 
Come on. Is that not how we grew up and how we've always heard though? Church? Huh? It is. We've always wanted to add to stuff. Oh, tell them they got to do this. Tell them they got to do that. I wish some of them little rebellion teenagers would be like, I hope you know Jesus had long hair. I hope you know Jesus had a beard. I don't know if he had tattoos and earrings, but that's a whole other thing, I guess. We can argue that one later. You could say, Jesus drank wine. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. No, I'm not trying to give you fuel to go argue over debatable crap, okay? That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is stop telling people they got to do something plus Jesus to get saved. It's legalism, okay? It's no different than where we're at right now. We talked about all these all these different walks right here, right? Some, something like today and, and, and this whole week, and what, especially next Sunday and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Think about it. Legalism say, oh, you got to believe it the way I believe it, how I believe it, and you better get it now. No, it's a process, man. That's why I struggle with this time of the year. I, I've got to understand it's a process for everybody, right? I can't do it that way, and nobody should be doing it that way. And if you do it that way, you're going to make them believe something for the wrong reason, and it's going to be legalism, right? But it's also no different than just bathing in all the fun stuff and the joy and all the wrong practices because you don't want to learn more. It's got to go both ways. You can be a Pharisee or you can be a Sadducee. Bad doctrine versus enforcing wrong things. Okay? All right? I'm a hint at it, but you're going to have to check it out yourself. Who gets cleaned up before they take a bath? Nobody. Unless you work at a tire shop. It's because my wife won't let me in the house unless I use Gojo before I come in. right? <laughs> you don't get cleaned up before you come to Jesus, man. Jesus does the cleaning. If you cleaned yourself up, that causes a problem. You understand what I'm saying? Like, if, if you think you can clean yourself up, no. You open the word of God and you say, man, Holy Spirit, reign inside of me as you flow through these words and clean up. And seek out whatever yeast is in me. And clean up whatever needs to be cleaned up. Even when I get to a point of I don't understand it, at least maybe courageous enough to check it out and keep investigating it until I get an answer. You shouldn't change until you get an answer, by the way, okay? I, I hope you understand that what I'm saying. I'm saying that with 100% confidence. You do not change your practices and your belief until you got a complete answer from the Holy Spirit. Because if not, you're changing for the wrong reason, which leads down a very dangerous road. I think that's what got some of the Pharisees and these guys in, in a lot of trouble. And maybe that's why Jesus, every time, List them as an example, right? All right, let me get off of that. Last one. The yeast of immorality. Now, there's probably like a million other examples of yeast in Scripture, by the way, all right? The yeast of immorality. And here, here's a really dark moment for the early church. First Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning in number 1. <laughs> Can you imagine being Paul? By the way, Paul gets the letter from the from the Corinthians or whoever wrote about the Corinthians. And most of Paul's letters are responses. I hope we understand that. Right? But but he got this letter while he's sitting in jail. You can imagine being a guy who's sitting in jail for the sake of the gospel and reading about homeboy sleeping with his daddy's wife. Because that, that's what we're getting at. So so in Corinthians, this, this thing, we get this, this chapter one, it says there's sexual morality going on among you. It's so bad. Look at what Paul says. It's so bad that even the pagans don't tolerate what you guys are tolerating. How bad did it have to be that even the pagans weren't going to tolerate what was going on? Right? This is how corrupt it's gotten, right? And then it, I, I think maybe it can make Jesus blush. You can put it that way, right? A man is sleeping with his father's wife. That's creepy, man. Right? That's kind of stuff like you don't even want to let people know that's in Scripture. But it's there. And it's there to teach us something, right? A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. Isn't that what I said earlier? So then he goes through with the rest of the Corinthians and he tells them you need to get rid of the old yeast so that that new unleavened batch that you really are for Christ our Passover lamb which has been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival not with the old bread leaven with malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread in the sincerity and truth. And here's what Paul's really getting at. I hope we, hope we get this from the church. Because it'd be easy like to point at that guy and be like, oh, Paul's just getting on, on that guy. No, he's yelling at the church. Why? Because they're embracing it. They're almost bragging about it. You ever heard a bunch of like church folks get together and brag about who used to be the worst sinner? You, you've heard that? They sit around who could drink the most back in the day, who could snort the most back in the day, who could take the most hits back in the day, who could steal the most stuff back in the day, who could do this most back in the day. But the bragging about it is in like the sense of, oh, I was worse than you are. 
Now, if you're bragging about it, you can say, man, look at what Jesus did. This is the power he has. This is the overcoming ability he has. That's great. But when we're bragging about it just so we can see who was the dirtiest of all the dirty, you're an idiot. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're, you're, you've dropped the ball. Like, you've really messed up. And if you don't like that, I really hate to hurt your feelings, but you should check it out. Right? He's getting on this church, and he goes, you guys are embracing this. Why? Because you're not doing anything about it. You know what's going on. It'd be no different. Got to pick on somebody whose wife's not here. Mitch, you're just in the hot seat, though. You read today, and Abby's not. Abby's in Texas, right? So it'd be no different than if we knew he doesn't have a son, so that doesn't work. Never mind. That would be even creepier. It'd be weird if your daughter was sleeping with that, right? <laughs> It'd be no different if somebody in this church's son was sleeping with their wife and we knew about it and we just let it roll. I know. Let's just let it go. Why? Because it'd cause a big disturbance if we actually spoke about sin. Is that not what we do? You want to know why? I'm not going to cover up crap we've gone through. You want to know why we've had some bumps and bruises along the way? Because we do things the Lord's way. You understand that? You know why we're also now super successful? Because we did things the Lord's way. We addressed issues, we got them worked out, and we've got huge testimonies because of them. And that's freaking awesome. That's what it's supposed to be about. But no, churches don't want to do nothing. They don't want to say anything. Just like the church in Corinth. And what happens? Years later, churches die and they got to close doors. You got to put them up for sale. Right? Or they're so far in debt, which is a whole other sin I don't even want to get in, that they got to close the doors because they can't pay the bills. Right? Let's get real about what's going on in the world, okay? Because Jesus ain't just talking to a select group of people back then. He's talking to us today. And he tells them, as long as you're embracing this, if you're not condemning it, you're embracing it. So if you know something, and I'm not saying you do this to hate their guts and kick them out and cause a big sin. You do it with love. Because what is God's ultimate purpose? Remember opportunities, I think, last week or the week before? Opportunities should be leading to restoration and uh, restitution. Right? It's not supposed to be leading to destruction, right? So you go to him and say, man, I, I, does anybody else read this? I know this probably isn't the exact way it was going, but when you read this, do you ever think like homeboy might have been sleeping with his mama? Like the first time I read it, I was like, hold on, son sleeping with dad's wife. Like, is he sleeping with his mama? Like what in the world? I'm not saying that's what it is. He might have been married again, okay? Or might have had another wife or whatever. I bet you were, just like I did. Right? I don't know. <laughs> I love you. Right? I'm not saying that's what it is, but I'm just like, I'm reading it. And I'm like, man, that kind of creeps me out on a whole other level. But you need somebody who's going to come alongside you the right way. And scripture gives examples on it. So don't you dare do it the wrong way and say, oh, pastor said I got to go kick him out and get rid of the yeast in the house and burn them up. That ain't what I said. I said, we aim for restoration. That means you go to him one on one. You say, man, I know there's this problem. We need to address it. You'd be amazed just how often that one little thing will restore somebody. And if it don't, Scripture gives another example. That time you go get another brother from the same church, the same body. We ain't spreading your laundry all over Givans. And from the same body, right, you go together with them. You sit down together. And then eventually, if it comes to it, God forbid, I don't, I don't even think it would ever even get to that if we handled stuff the right way. But Scripture does tell us, if it ever gets to it, then you got to bring it before, again, the church, not the community. We understand that? Not Facebook, not Instagram, not tweeting or none of the other social media crap y'all got going on, right? The only thing those things are good for is vehicles, by the way. You didn't know that. You post pictures of tires and pictures of vehicles on them, and that's it. A motorcycle here and there, and that's it. That's what they're good for. Anything else is corruption, right? (laughs) Paul's saying, no, no, no. Help your brother repent. Get this thing right. Why do we buy it? I got to share this because I don't want to write Yeast of immorality. Do we not do this with culture? This isn't just something Paul was dealing with there, right? Well, what do we do? Pornography. And then we come up with lies that, oh, well, that's not even like me being with somebody. That's just that's just an image of somebody. Well, who, whose image does Scripture say they're created in? Created in the image of God. So then what are you doing with it? Right? Or, or maybe it's this hookup culture we got going on now. We just hook up with anything, anyone, all the time, and it's no big deal, right? You realize why God holds marriage like so valuable? And I think sometimes we even mess up our own views on this kind of stuff, right? But marriage is so valuable. Why? Because this must be a picture of what? What is marriage ultimately the picture of? Man, I hope you've been in this church long enough to know this one. If not, I will preach till the cows come. I will preach all the way through next Sunday. You won't get a chance to get leaven because there won't be no leaven brought up in here, right? What is it? 
It's Jesus in the church. We're married. You ever thought about like, that's why Jesus is so hard on husbands and wives and the way we treat each other? Because it's one of his most beautiful pictures. Two pictures he uses only, guys. I hope you realize that. He uses the picture of marriage and he uses the picture of what? Parenting. Right? Two of the most beautiful things he does. And it's also two of the biggest groups he harps on the most. Why? Because if you mess this up, you may mess up the illustration I'm ultimately aiming toward. Right? That's why it's so vital. That's why it's so important. Man, God has designed marriage to be a picture of the bride and the groom. The bride of Christ and us, the bridegroom of Jesus and the faithfulness behind us. And what he's saying is if we keep letting the immorality of the world get in us, we keep letting the yeast of the world. He's not going to be very happy with us. And he's not going to be very pleased with what's going on. And understand this. Go down to verse, what was it, verse 7? Be on guard against things. Verse 7, he said, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be what? A new unleavened batch. What's what's he getting at symbolically? I know it's time to wrap up, so I want to make sure you get it, though. What's he saying? When we become new creatures in Christ, we're a new batch, right? We're a new batch. Jesus Christ, the purebred of God, right? He's cleaning the house for holiness, man. Right? If we let him. God had to clean the house for holiness in, in the times of, of him when he went to these festivals. And I think he wants to do the same thing in every single one of us. And we ought to be doing it more often. But, but scripture says this, at least, at least do it during these appointed times. Right? Do, do we get that? Like, I think it almost ought to be like a, well, if you're like me, it probably needs to be an every 30 second kind of thing. Right? But maybe some of you are more holy and you can go at least a week or a month or a year. Scripture says at least grab a hold of these moments. And remember the obligation. The obligation is to what? Search. So I got to ask you this. Have you searched? I can't tell you what you'll find. I can't even tell you what you should find. All I can tell you is is God speaks and God says this. My people have an obligation to search themselves out. Now the next phase is on you. If you find something, then you got to address it and get rid of it, right? You got to clean it out. How many of you clean a room like my, I'm not using names because my kids get mad if I do that. How many of you clean a room like my child that eats really slow? (laughs) I didn't say your name, man. If you wanted to jump up, they wouldn't even have known it was you. All kidding aside, by the way, as I joke about it, we've talked. My boy's okay with illustrations so far. I know it don't day I'm going to lose that, so I'm going to claim it all while I can right now, right? My boy cleans his room good, though. Cleans it the same way I used to clean it. Y'all know what to do? Mama says, you got five minutes to clean that room. You know what you do in five minutes? No, 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 no. It used to be under the bed. See, mama, my, my, his mama, right? She, she got safe and she said, we're going to do one of them beds that's got like a solid thing at the bottom. Can't shove nothing under. But there's always option two. In the closet. You just pack, you pack it. So he will pack it so full. You can't even open the door to get in the closet. Now y'all think I'm lying. I went in. They went to bed the other night and he forgot like a jacket or a hoodie or something a couple weeks ago. And I went to bust in there to, to, to get something so I could lay it out for him for the next morning so the morning runs smooth. And I went to push open the door and I pushed open the door, come back, popped me in the head. Like there was so much stuff behind it. And I had to act holy because we still got them neighbors staying with us, right? So I had to tiptoe across all of them with my grungiest little meanest face in the world. And I thought about elbow dropping every single one of the boys. But I didn't. That was my repentance, like stealing flowers in the woods. Right? Somebody owns that bush, by the way. Okay. <laughs> That's my confession. I didn't do it. But it made me feel bad because I was like, he cleaned the room the same way as cleaning the room. I, mine was so bad. This is no lie. Mine was so bad the closet doors got taken off in the room I was at. This is no lie. And there's just clothes hanging right there. Right? On, on Old House on 61. And I would find a way to shove stuff behind the clothes. You got to really start thinking to clean a room that way, right? We laugh. How often is it we clean our spiritual houses the same way? We do a halfway job at checking out things that need to be checked out rather than cleaning them up for real. Right? We, we lost the remote the other day. We do this all the time. We lost the remote the other day. So, you know, we all looking for the remote because that's an important thing. You don't lose that. Right? Kids go to bed. Mom and daddy need remote time. Right? Y'all thought they need another time. They just need peace and quiet with a TV, right? So 
So, so we're looking under the couch. Nerf bullets, M&Ms, pieces of bread, spider webs. I don't even know what animal that was under there, but it was moving around and all that. <laughs> how often? How, think about this. Now think about this. What Jesus commanded them to do. The illustration. The illustration wasn't just to do it. I hope you get more than that, okay? Please don't think this week, oh, I'm going to start practicing that. I'm going to go home and clean out my house of leaven, and I'm going to check it off. That is not the main objective. The main objective is as you are doing it, to think, am I cleaning out myself the same way? Do you go to that extreme to remove even a sign of sin, of puffing up, of decay from your life? Huh? You got you got time this whole week now to do it. They, they did it for eight days, really, because Passover and then seven days of the of the feast, right? Why not? Why not claim some of it? Why not take advantage of just, a, just a little bit? Why not try it out? What could it hurt to try it out once? You know what I'm saying? Let's pray. Father God, I love you so much. I thank you for this morning, Lord God. God, uh, <laughs> I thank you for getting me through some of the moments, Lord God, where I, I probably should have took more time if I was listening to you better. But Lord, I pray, God, that if I, I messed it up, then you fix it as it goes in the ears of the people listening. God, I pray that your spirit do something far greater and far more than I could. It's just words floating through an air to an ear, Lord God. I pray that you speak to the hearts. I pray, Lord God, that you take this time, Lord God, where we sit quietly before you and get in tune with your spirit, Lord God. God, I pray as that daddy brings that, that candlelight, Lord God, that you shine a light on the things that need a light shined on. And then, God, I pray more than ever that you bring your spirit, that hyssop, that feather. You sweep it up, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord God, that you swept up my trash on a wooden cross that your son hung on. To pay for my sin so that I can be ingrained into a new batch of bread. Father God, use this time right now with us, Lord God, to speak so clear and so loud of what you expect of us, Lord God. And I pray for every believer in this room, Lord, that when they hear you speak and they feel your presence about something on the inside that needs to be cleaned up, the Lord God, you make known what it is, Lord God, and they have the courage to remove it, to get rid of it. Lord, I pray for unbelievers in the room, Lord God, that they would just see some of the ways you've tied things together and realize this, this history in Scripture is it's so much more than just history. It's your story. And your story can become our story. In your great name we pray. Amen.